Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. Providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space, you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. I recently joined as a member, and you can too. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with the advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. And please put unprofessional development in the How Did You Hear About Podgo? That will give us a little finder's fee. Thank you. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a very fabled episode of Unprofessional Development. I'm Tedesco. And I'm Mealy, and today we have with us um, author, teacher, moth, um, grand champion, super champion, world champion, eight-time international champion, something like that. We don't need to count them. We don't need to count them. <laughs> but, it's, but it's Matthew Dix, boys and girls, and as, as I was mentioning him off the air, I'm a, a listener. I listen to probably, I don't know, about, um, about half the episodes. I could not tell you the name of anyone that I've ever listened to on The Moth, but I, but I just... But I just enjoy the stories. And if you haven't listened to The Moth, you really should. It is an absolute blast and, and, and a good time. But, yes, um, and so he also has a book called Story Worthy, which I read and I really enjoyed. And I said, Hey, we like telling stories and we fancy ourselves good at it, but we, we're not moth champions. So I said, let me get Matthew Dix on here and, and take us to school. We always like to start with a bizarre, odd prompt to kind of get our guest rather than them just reading their bio chronologically to themselves or me, just to kind of make it a little interesting. But just for fun, um, tell us your education journey as a fable. A fable? Yeah. <laughs> We're going to sit well, cross-legged on the carpet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Crisscross applesauce. Yeah. Well, if you want to veer fall from there, you want to go another direction, I'm fine with that as well. No, that's okay. So uh, my educational journey, well, you know, I, it began sort of uh, – very deep in a terrible pit of challenge and difficulty. <laughs> I, you know, I, I went to school in Blackstone, Massachusetts, and it was a, it was a lovely place to grow up. I was fairly unrecognized. Uh, no one ever mentioned the word college to me, so I didn't go to college after high school. I, I, I found a different, even deeper, darker pit to fall into. You know, I struggled to find my way through my life for a little while. I ended up arrested and tried for a crime I didn't commit. I was homeless for a period in my life. Eventually, I sort of found a foothold and uh, I made it to community college, which was actually the best educational experience I have had in my entire life. And so I, uh, I did three years there. And uh, from the work that I did there, I was fortunate enough to have sort of full rides to lots of universities. So I ended up going to Trinity College for an English degree and to uh, St. Joseph's University for an education degree. And and uh, I managed to climb out of that pit, that fabled pit of despair, and uh, found did, my footing. Did you have a fairy godmother or godfather who um, sprinkled some dust on you to change you from a non-college guy to a college guy? Um, I wouldn't say there was – no, there was really no one like that. I knew I wanted to be a teacher, and mm -hmm. I knew I had to get to college to do it. I just didn't actually think that was going to be in the cards for me. But there were sort of teachers along the way, you know, especially in the community college. There were people who let me know that I could do this, that mm -hmm. like you're good at this learning thing and this writing thing. And, right. you know, those people were sort of role models for me. Yeah. You said community college is the best educational experience you had. What what made it the best? For whatever reason, the teachers just ended up being outstanding human beings who deeply cared about me. Mm -hmm. And I also found myself in 
enormously diverse classrooms. You know, when I went to Trinity College, there was a moment where I remember in a class, someone said, a professor said, so if that gardener outside who's black was in here, what do you think he would be saying in response to this literature? Because there was no other person of color in the room. The closest person of color was the gardener outside the window. Which is not a metaphor in any way, I'm sure. No. And even at, you know, at St. Joe's at the time, it was an all women's college. And so I was the only man in every single class of women. So community college was the place where I had an 80 year old lady and a 17 year old kid and, you know, people of color and people of different sort of backgrounds and educational Mm -hmm. experiences and economic experiences. And that was really great for me. I loved that. Yeah. Yeah, I went, I did, I got my, ba- I'm not my, ba- I got my associates at, at community college as well. I flunked out of college the first time because I wasn't ready yet. And see, everyone was saying college when I was in high school and most of the people in my high school went to college. So I went there with no knowing what I wanted to do. And then I eventually, um, found my way back to becoming a teacher. It's interesting that you mentioned that I, I've said this more than once. Not saying that we shouldn't have training for teachers, but there are lots of people who could be a teacher who don't happen to have a four-year degree, and then lots of people who have a four-year degree in education who who um, shouldn't be teachers. <laughs> yeah. I've made the argument that I don't think much of what I learned in college was very useful for me yeah. in the classroom. I actually have a letter I'm working on right now that I'm writing to college uh, presidents arguing that the things that should be taught aren't being taught, and I'd be happy to teach those things. I think that the best education I got in terms of being a teacher was the nine or 10 years that I managed McDonald's restaurants. <laughs> uh, the, the ability to coordinate groups of people from diverse backgrounds, mm-hmm. to motivate them to work right. really under conditions that are not that great, learning to communicate with people, mm-hmm. learning to frankly inspire them to do things they didn't think they would be able to do. Right. That has been so enormously helpful to me. De- dealing with absenteeism, I'm, I'm sure as well. Yeah. <laughs> well, learning to eliminate absenteeism when you are working, like other right. managers might have problems with absenteeism, but if you treat your people properly, yeah. if you say hello in the morning and say goodbye in the end of the day, when someone needs a ride home and you have a car and they don't, you recognize that you're going to help that person because it's going to come back to you later on. Yeah. And just the ability to sort of manage a space, which is what teachers do. Well, in a lot of ways, we're managers of human beings. We have to manage their learning manage the way they they move about a classroom and behave. And that's really what management is about. So those years at McDonald's were so powerful for me. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say it also helps you uh, talk to your students like they're people. Yeah, I think I would have done that anyway, though. I I hear teachers sort of have those two voices. You know, we we just had a field trip the other day, and there was a father on the field trip, and he said, boy, I really like the way you talk to kids because... You really don't mess around. You know, I say things like, you're going to be over here in 10 seconds or your life is going to be in jeopardy. Move it. You know, and he laughed, you know, and <laughs> kids know I'm not going to kill them, right. but they also know that I've got a lot of straight talk for them. And I've always been that way. Right. There was a, actually, there was a, we used to take our kids camping for three nights and four days until COVID. And I remember the year we took a brand new nurse for the first time and we arrived on Tuesday. And on Friday, she called me over and she said, listen, on Tuesday, I thought I was going to have to call DCF on you. The way you talk to kids <laughs> is so sort of like uncomfortably direct. She said, but by Friday, I figured out that they're all responding to you, that they all get it, that you can really be honest with them and you can say things to them and they love you for it. And she said, I couldn't believe it on Tuesday, the way I heard you talk to kids. But by Friday, I totally understand. And it's great. Right. 
Right. Yeah. Okay. It's it is it is when you have relationships and you and the kids know that what you're doing is in their best interest. There's some things that you can say which to an outsider could sound like bullying or whatever, but we all know that like no, I just, you know, we're just we found, you know, I say often that sarcasm is my love language and um that we find a way that that works that works with them and they know who you are and you know who they are. And you learn who, how the kids, and there's certain kids that you go, okay, I, this one here, they, they can't quite handle, but this one here, I can tell them almost anything and they'll, they'll actually appreciate that more than me, you know, bringing some toxic positivity up into the place, you know? Yes. So. Yeah. It, it's hard for people who are not in the classroom to understand why things happen the way they do. You know, it's, it's just hard to explain to a parent unless they trust you. Like, why are you doing that? You know, if a parent who trusts you and understands you will understand it immediately. Neely, I have two problems. What are those? I really love the show on professional development, and I have a big blank spot on my chest where my shirt is. First of all, the first one doesn't sound like a problem. I mean, it's so much love, I can't contain it. And you also have, what, a blank spot on your chest? Yeah, where my shirt is. You you never grew chest hair? Obviously not. Oh, I know what you should do. You should go to this link in the show notes and get an unprofessional development t-shirt. Yes, that sounds like exactly what I needed for this premise. So boys and girls, we have t-shirts. We have magnets. We have buttons. Show your unprofessional love. That way you'll get to know who your fellow unprofessionals are when you're walking down the hallway and go, oh, you listen to that too? Be an unprofessional representative. I got a question for you. I heard this phrase and it's thrown me off. Homework for life. Yeah. J- just hear those three words. Like that's uh-huh. my nightmare. I have a stomachache <laughs> yeah. saying those three words. I don't know if I'll be able to say them again. <laughs> well, I've trademarked, I've trademarked the phrase. Um, so, homework- so why homework for life? Well, it's a storytelling technique. It's actually not a storytelling technique. It really is a, if you want to live your life in a full and complete way, you need to do homework for life. You know, it's, it's like toothbrushing though. You engage in the brushing of your teeth for life, right? But you don't cry about that. You don't cry about the fact that every night you get to brush your teeth. So I'm giving you a homework assignment that's going to take you, you know, at the most five minutes a day, and it's going to change the course of your life forever. So it's like brushing your teeth. You know, it's, it's that easy. And so, you know, I'm an elementary school teacher. I'm predisposed to things like homework. So that's why I gave the process that name. I couldn't help it. So, so what do you assign? Give us the details. Oh, sure. So, Essentially, I was telling stories on stages in New York and eventually around the world. And as I began telling these personal stories, I started to worry that I was going to run out of stories. There's certain storytellers in the world that sort of have the same 12 stories and they just roll out the old chestnut every night. And I didn't want to be one of those guys. I wanted to be someone who stood on the stage every night with something new to say. So in an effort to find stories, I gave myself this homework assignment. I decided that at the end of every day, before I go to bed, I'm going to sit back, think about my day. And I'm going to find the most story worthy moment from that day, even if it was a day full of nothing. The phrasing I always think or the framing I always give myself is my family's been kidnapped and they will not be returned to me until I tell you an entertaining story about something that happened today. So even if nothing really happened, I've got to find the most entertaining thing from all the non-entertaining things. What is that moment going to be? And then I write it down. I don't write the whole thing down because that's insanity. Those are journalers right there deeply special people who tend to journal a lot when someone dumps them. And as soon as they're back together in love again, they stop 
you know, writing in their diary. <laughs> so instead, what I do is I take an Excel spreadsheet. It's got two columns. It's got the date column, and then I stretch that B column across the screen. And in the B column, I write the story. So I've, all I've got is like three or four or five sentences to record the moment from the day. And my, I, my hope was that maybe I'll find one new story a month that I'm not noticing. What happens instead and what's happened to quite literally tens of thousands of people all over the world is you discover that your life is sort of filled with interesting, meaningful, entertaining moments, story-worthy moments that we don't see. Or we're, we see them, but we're too stupid to do anything with them. So we just sort of walk past them. And we don't take note of them. So what happens is like, take your ages, whatever your ages are, subtract 12. You know, so for me, I'm 50, subtract 12, that's 38. How much do you actually remember from the year that you landed on? You know, for me, it's my 38th year of life. We let whole years of our lives be utterly forgotten. We go around the sun one time and we have like four things to say about it. It doesn't mean that your year was bad or boring or terrible. It just means... You just let it go by. Mm-hmm. So what happens is you get older and you think, God, where'd the time go? Or your kids grow up and you say, I can't believe how fast they grew up. If you're doing homework for life, you don't wonder where the time went because time slows down. Because every day gains some meaning. Uh-huh. And your kids don't grow up quickly because your homework for life is filled with moments, filled with them, the crazy things they say and the crazy things they do and the beautiful things they do. So it slows down time. It allows you to hold on to your life in a way that you're not holding on to it now. And then what you'll discover, and I am not a unicorn in any way, everyone discovers this, we have far more stories to tell than we ever imagined we have. So now I have a list so long, I will run out of time in my life before I run out of topics to talk about. And I bet that also makes you more aware, like throughout the day when something amazing happens. It does. It also does this other wonderful thing, which is it sort of cracks you open. And as you start to examine your days, the past will suddenly flood back, you know, for reasons I really don't understand. Homework for Life has caused me to remember things from my past that had previously been forgotten, things I can't believe I forgot. And everyone else experiences this too. I think what happens is we just sort of, we're more aware of the moments that we experience in our life and they connect to moments from our past. Oh, this there's, is like a thing. I was going to say there's some brain the science happening somewhere. I don't know. I, I, I'm not a neurologist, yeah. but there, but memories there's something... are emotionally congruent. Yeah. I read right. that there's... in a psych book. <laughs> oh, wow. Did you? There's some kind of neur- neur- neurology happening there. Yeah. yeah and so, so even if you're not going to tell it. stories, you got to do it. Even if you're I, not telling stories, it's going to change your life. I, I did it for almost three weeks and now I need to get back on. So I'm, I'm trying to like, you know, and I, I know it's what, like, just like exercising. If, if you, if you miss a few days, it's okay. You just get back. No, on. No, it's so, not. No, no, it's not okay to miss a few days. If you no. miss a few days, you really suck because I'm not asking for much. <laughs> like really. It's homework, Mealy. You failed. What happens? Now I know how the nurse days, fell on Tuesday. <laughs> well, what happens if you miss a few days? You've quite literally thrown those days away. Oh. You will never remember anything from them. They're gone okay. forever. They've become just, part of the ether don't do. miss a day if you don't miss brushing your teeth which i hope you don't and if you do you've no, got I'm... problems then don't miss the five minutes the homework for life takes it's five minutes <laughs> yes sir yes sir i mean if okay. you don't if you skip it i always say if you skip it or you choose not to do it at all it's fine but as you put your head on the pillow at night the last thought i want you to have is i suck i could be changing my life but instead i'm just gonna go to sleep and then move You're on bad with and you should feel bad I really, that's, I, I believe shame is a powerful tool. It should Amen. be deployed carefully, but it can be useful. Amen. I was going to say, something this also actually reminds me of, though. Um, uh, I was in 
two productions. Just one. Now, my dad did art. My dad directed school plays when he was a high school teacher. And I was in one and I saw the other one, um, Our Town. And are you familiar with Our Town? I am, yeah. The, um, the, there's like the, the graveyard scene where she's kind of like reflecting. It, it, this, it's kind of, I don't want to do the whole scene, but it's kind of tied onto that. And they're asking, does anyone really appreciate the days that they, that they have? And it's like, um, a couple poets and a couple other people. And that's pretty much it. Most of us just kind of just, and it's about pretty much, and our town is basically just about or, a couple ordinary days in, um, in life that people don't appreciate. But then, you know, and then when yeah. somebody dies, it kind of, you know, wakes you up to it. So yeah, it, it will change the way you look at your life. I promise. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So, so unprofessionals who are listening, that that's that is now your homework. You now have homework for life. Okay, yep. it is due every day. You don't take a day off. Okay, or um, Matthew is coming to your house and <laughs> um, putting a um, loser um, sign on on your front lawn. It's true, and don't be afraid to be an overachiever. What you'll also discover that happens is most of my days have more than one moment that I'm recording. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean they're going to end up on stage. I did the math once for someone about 8% of the moments that I record end up being possible stories. So 92% of the things that happen to me, I'm recording because they mean something to me, but they're not really the kind of thing I'm going to take onto a stage, but I don't want to lose them. So most days average about four entries. And just out of curiosity, um, have you made sure that someone knows where to get this in the event of your untimely demise? Yes, it's yeah. uh, it's saved in many places, and my wife is fully aware of it. So yes. okay, cool. Yeah. I feel like we've got the pump primed now, Matthew. I feel like we've got <laughs> you like the, the 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 fire has been lit, and we're good to go. So now we're, we're talking about stories, and and um, everyone loves stories. There's still literally books being published years after we had radio and TV and movies. When probably just everyone's like, oh, it's going to stop when this happens. I don't know, you know. So people still love all forms of um, storytelling. So. And we're called unprofessional development because we basically believe, as we discussed earlier, we ninety uh, percent. Speaking of eight percent, about eight percent of professional development is um, any good. <laughs> so, That's very generous. <laughs> yeah, I but agree. We, but we think that you know, um, hanging out and teachers talking about their craft is um, is valuable um, about uh, at least fifty percent of the time. So, how can stories be used? As PD, someone that's listening, this is they're either like, you know, someone who has to, maybe they want to do it, maybe it's just they got stuck with the job. There's a lot of people. I think that's one of the reasons PD sucks sometimes. Is hey, you know what your job is? You just got a promotion, and now you're the PD person. And they go, oh, (laughs) I would love surprise. I would love that job. Would you love that? I would love that job. So, so we're we're so temporarily in our imaginary world here. You are now that. How are you going to use stories as? as PD, or how are stories going to be part of PD? Well, I've done it many, many times for many school districts. So, you know, it takes lots of forms. What I encourage in these moments I have with teachers is I teach them how to find and tell stories, but then we talk about how stories are going to be useful in the classroom. Mm-hmm. You know, so I talk about how on the very first day of school, every single year, the first story I tell my students is about how I was at a pool party after my sixth grade year, it was sort of the last day of school. We all went to Annette Gear's house. I went off the diving board and I had not tied my bathing suit before I went off the board. <laughs> oh, so no. I left my bathing suit behind and I was surrounded by my classmates naked in a swimming pool. Wow. Now, I te- and I had a parent once say like, why the hell are you telling my kids stories about being naked in a, in a <laughs> swimming pool? Right. And I said, because I teach fifth grade. I teach 10 year olds. And yes. that means that 
girls are going to get their periods over the course of the year. And mm-hmm. sometimes I'm going to be the person they speak to. Oddly, I am often the person they speak to, even though I remind them I'm a man in an ocean of women. There's yes. women literally everywhere in my <laughs> elementary school, and I don't use the products that you require right now, so I can't be that helpful to you. Yes. Um, but I tell them that story because I talk about shame and humiliation. I talk about my experiences and my failures because when they experience those things, I think the reason the girls come to me and say, Mr. Dix, I just had my first period. I think it's because they know that I will understand them because I have shared these things with them. Mm-hmm. So when I share the story of my homelessness, that's the year that the girl who was sleeping in her car with her mother and they're afraid to tell anyone because they're afraid they're going to be kicked out of the school because they don't have a home in the district. Right. She comes to me and she tells me, right? I tell kids that I was in jail, the kids who have parents in prison, you know, parents who have been in prison, they come up to me and they say, I never thought I could tell someone at school that my mother or my father are imprisoned. Can you tell me what prison's like? And I say, well, I was in jail. Prison is very different, but we can still have a conversation about it. Yeah. And so I'm constantly telling kids stories about myself and my failure and inviting them to do the same. So we connect. Yeah. And then I also tell stories in my classroom about the previous kids. I use my previous students from the last 23 years as like character lessons for my kids. I create this culture and the kids always say things to me like, what story are you going to tell about me someday to a future <laughs> class? And I always say, well, what story am I going to tell? Like, what are you going to do this year that's going to become something that I'm going to want to talk about? So they know all the famous kids. They know Nathan and Feli Eagle Caljob. They know, you know, they know Scott and they know Bones. They know these kids that I talk about to teach lessons. And suddenly they feel like they're in a place of some permanence, some place that has meaning. You know, Mm -hmm. there is legacy here. There is tradition. And all of that means so much to kids. So just that tip of the iceberg, I could keep talking about all the value that storytelling has. But just those two things mean so much to kids. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. So you have to teach teachers how to find the stories, tell the stories, and then teach them how to use the stories. So that's what I do in professional development a lot with teachers. Awesome. I think it'd be really cool, like a beginning of year activity to ask students, what would, what story would your last year teacher tell about you? Yeah. I teach my students how to tell stories as well. And I have some games I play with them so that um, they can tell stories in a way that they don't feel assessed. They don't feel like there's a rubric attached. They don't mm-hmm. feel like there's a score at the end. I want to sort of take storytelling and remove all the bars so they can right. start talking about themselves in ways that are comfortable for them. Yeah. And I found when I do that in class, kids really start opening up about personal stuff. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I also know a lot of teachers who don't want to open that door because they don't know how to handle that personal stuff. Yes. We were talking about that in school today. We we're talking about gender identity. And basically, how do you talk about this with kids? Now, I teach fifth grade, so I've been doing it all my life. You know, I've had trans kids and non-binary kids, and yep. I've had boy-girl kids, you know, that identify as both. But the younger grades haven't really experienced this, and there's so much nervousness and trepidation. And all I say is, it doesn't matter what you say, as long as you said it with an open heart and an open mind. So misspeak, use the wrong word, you know, say something that you shouldn't say. None of that really matters as long as it's an open heart and an open mind. And you can tell a parent, you can tell a principal, you can tell a student, listen, I said the wrong thing, but I thought I was saying the right thing. I thought I was doing the best thing for you. Let's backtrack and figure out what I should have said. And then no one's really going to have a problem with that. You know, I had a colleague say today, what if you're going to, you know, aren't you worried about getting in trouble for talking about that? And I said, what trouble? Like, there's no trouble. I've been teaching for 23 years. What are they going to do? I said the wrong word. They're going to come and they're going to say, don't say that word. And I'm going to go, okay. And then that's the end of it forever, right? Like, I, <laughs> unless I, unless I 
<laughs> unless I hurt a kid, unless I drive my car over a kid, mm-hmm. like you're That's allowed to say the wrong thing sometimes yeah. at the workplace and then fix it later. I've been, I've been having this conversation and the more, the deeper I get into teaching, the more I realize that and I'm, I'm not saying there aren't some outlier cases where an admin gets a hair up their butt that they just decide they hate this teacher. It happened to my father. Um, and it's, ha- and it happens sometimes where they are just going to railroad somebody, you know, for, for some personal reasons, but that yeah. is an outlier. The, m- the majority of the time that happened, no matter what you say. And, and right, and, right. And you can't stop. You can't, you can't edit your way out of that. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And admins come and go. Exactly. <laughs> They're always looking to move up. Teachers right. are very happy in the classroom. Admins are always looking ahead. Yes. The next office. So 99.9 times, times out of 100, as long as you don't do anything that you would be like arrested for, or they would make the newspapers. Don't drink keep, in class. Right. Keep the flask in your car. Right. right. You know, I mean, those, those, uh-huh. those, those uh, but yeah, but saying a naughty word or, you know, calling a kid something wrong by accident or doing something, you know, saying something stupid. You, we make mistakes. We apologize. And we move on. I'm curious too about this. So, with in terms of storytelling, then how do you rank like listening in the classroom? Like, you know, the importance of listening to students' stories. Yeah, I think it's really important. I think most people are terrible listeners. I I think the only reason I'm I'm sorry, what'd you say? Yeah, (laughs) the only reason I think I'm a good listener and I teach it, I teach active listening, is because I spent three years in an all women's college. And I quickly realized they do not want me to speak first, second, or third. I better listen to a whole bunch of stuff before I have anything to say. And also, even as an elementary school teacher, most of my colleagues are women. And so when you're in an environment where you're the minority, you learn to listen really carefully so that you don't step on toes and you understand what should be said and what doesn't need to be said. And so I think it's extremely important to not only be someone willing to sort of open the floor to kids, but to actually be an active listener, to like put everything down. You know, I'm always talking to my kids, ask your students this, like, how often are you talking to your parents while they're looking at a phone and every hand goes up? Like, we just do that, you know? Mm -hmm. And so like, as a teacher, I think we do that. Maybe not your phone, but we're like, we invite a kid to say something and we start thinking about like, what am I going to do at 10 o'clock today? You know, you know, you just start thinking about your own life while the kid's talking. And so my goal always when I'm listening to someone is everything gets put down, including all the thoughts in my mind. And I'm focused on the words that the person's saying. And I should be prepared to be able to repeat what that kid said. That is always my goal. Can I repeat what the kid said? And if I can, that means I really listened. I struggle with that. But I think that's a little... I've, it's not some, easy. Like, no, listening is not, not an easy and I, skill. And I'm a little... And I'm a it little, takes practice. I'm a little ADHD, I think, as well. You know, because I, I know I will... My brain goes off on, on random tangents, as, as anyone who listens to this knows, but it happens in my head before it happens in my, in, in my mouth. And it, it's, I yeah. try and like, I have to like, it's so bit active. It's, it is an act to have to like forcibly like squash things and, and, um, you know, bring myself back repeatedly as, as it's, go, as it's going on. So it does, it does take effort, but I know it takes yeah. effort for everybody. Yeah. It's, it's something you got to work at. You really have to, it really is paying attention to that. Take some effort. Why do we do what we do? What's the purpose of school? How do we know what works? We don't want to be slaves to data. We shouldn't fetishize pedagogy. We don't want unaccountable, wild, free-form ideas of education that no one can really figure out how they work or if they do. We need honest, sincere dialogue 
we need to talk about what really matters, and that's our students, and that's how we help them to learn and grow and improve. What we need is a discussion that includes all aspects of education, from philosophy to policy to pedagogy. You can find all of that, including interviews with authors, community leaders, teachers, students, and more on the ClassCast podcast. Check us out at www.classcastpodcast.com, on YouTube, and streaming on all major platforms. ClassCast podcast, where real education happens. You say you, you try to write a story or two or three every single night. Well, an idea of a moment that happened that could be a story, but literally it's three to five sentences every day. Okay. So how do you know know which ones will make a really solid story? How do you know which ones really hook people or how do you know which ones you could use in a classroom? Like, like, what do you think is, is, is the, what's the magic ingredient? There's a few, you know, if I do something stupid, I know I have a good story. It's just the way it Step is. You know, one, if I am a rotten, stupid. yeah, if I'm a rotten person, a terrible person, a selfish person, an arrogant person, if I fall on my ass, if I, you know, if I trip on the, those are all good stories. People That's always want to. That's why was so honored as our author. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah, everyone wants to hear your, your unfortunate moments. No one really wants to hear your success stories except possibly your parents. Right. And so, <laughs> true. you know, I dodge the successful stories. People don't want to hear them. If I'm going to tell a successful story, I'm probably going to tell one about a student and not about me, you know? So it has to be tragedy first. If, if, if if the success has to mean anything, I was going to say for for anyone to to want to hear your success story, they they first want to hear how, how you screwed up. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You have to sort of um, self-deprecate. You have to marginalize your success. Mm -hmm. Um, But basically I'm looking for moments in my life when I get to say something that most people are unwilling to say. Most people are afraid to be vulnerable. They're afraid to say, this was my worst moment. This was my horrible thought. This was my embarrassment. This was the thing that happened to me. We were going to the movies just before the pandemic. And uh, my wife and two of our friends were in the car and I ran inside the pharmacy to grab candy. And as I ran up the candy aisle, for some reason in the store, there was like a hill. Like they hadn't leveled out the, the, the floor. Oh, And so my toe hit the edge of the, hill this little hill and i went flying and i scraped my chin on the industrial carpet i like slid like three feet across yeah it was bad and the woman in the end of the aisle starts cackling because she can't oh, believe yeah. it she's so funny oh and yeah my f- my first thought is i can't wait to get back to the car to tell them what just happened nice that's my <laughs> instinct all the time my instinct nice. is i just did something stupid who can i tell first and so nice. if you're like keeping that in mind you're probably going to tell a good story if you're being vulnerable and sharing something that might be a little harder to share or something, you know, other people might not share. Yeah. I think that's going to be the sign of a good story. Yeah. And the good thing is you actually near first aid stuff for your, for your chin as well. Did you, did you purchase any, any, um, any cream? <laughs> it was not a bloody mess. It was just a scrape and okay. Uh, okay. we were getting to the movie. So yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think it's great then that you picked education as a job because we make stupid mistakes all day, every day. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's very true. So now that we've got like the, the, the ingredient that it's going to be something, something self-deprecating. So what do we build upon that and how do, and, and what is it that we can have them learn once, once we've got that, um, that foundation learned? Sure. So when we 
talk about stories, most people don't understand what a story really is. Most people think it's just stuff that happened to me over a predefined period of time. That's not a story. That's just recounting your life, reporting on your life. Nobody wants it. The problem in life is that most of the people we tell stories to are the people who love us. So they put up with our terrible storytelling. They mm -hmm. make us feel like it's good <laughs> and reinforce bad storytelling. So unless you're standing in front of 200 strangers, which is, which is what I do all the time, that's the only place to actually get feedback as to whether you're good or not. Otherwise, people are just going to put up with your bad storytelling. And that feedback so is to, harsh. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so you got to know um, what a story is, which is essentially change over time. A story has to reflect one of two things. It's either I used to be one kind of person and then some stuff happens and now I'm a new kind of person. Mm -hmm. Or I used to think one thing and then some stuff happened and now I think differently. That's essentially the essence of every single story, whether you're going to watch a movie, read a book or listen to someone tell a story, a real story, that's what happens over time. You, you should be able to watch a movie, and within the first 15 minutes of the movie, know how that movie's going to end. Because you know you're looking at the opposite of the end all the time. Mm -hmm. The beginning and the end are going to be somewhat opposites of each other. And yes. so when you're getting ready to tell a story, you always want to start with the end, because you need to know where you're going, right? You need to know what has happened. So you need to be able to say, I used to be, I used to think this and now some stuff has happened. Now I think this. I remember the time early in my career when I thought, Oh, ADHD medication is probably just stupid and people don't need it. That's what I used to think. Mm -hmm. Then I met a boy named Bobby and I watched him off medication and on medication. And then I had my realization, which is you're an idiot. That medication is really helpful for some students. Yeah. So uh -huh. I went from a position of arrogance and know it all. Mm -hmm. Some stuff happens to realization that I know nothing. I have a lot to learn. I'm in year two of my teaching career. Stop having opinions, right? <laughs> but that's a story. That's sort of, that is the yeah. essence of what a story is. Yeah. So we have to have change over time. Otherwise, we're just reporting on our life and that is boring and not entertaining. Yeah. Ooh, can I tell one then? Sure. Okay. Flo I floated my second year teaching, which was horrible, by the way, floating your second year teaching, especially I had calculators and I had to go to multiple buildings and we had something called enrichment where I had to travel back and forth sometimes, multiple times to, to the same classroom. It was, it was crazy. But anyway, um, so float into this teacher's classroom and he had his, uh, desks arranged in little pods of, of twos and, of twos and threes. So it came time for the first test. So these were smart kids. And a few of them were even in marching band. So I said, okay, they should be able to figure this out. I said, we need to have these desks in columns the way you've seen them in lots of classrooms in your whole life because you're 10th graders and you should know what desks in like just rows or columns look like. I said, so I need you to separate them from each other and get in columns. Just And that's all the direction I gave them. Horrible. Yeah, it sounds like a recipe for disaster. <laughs> it looked like they the desks have been dropped from a helicopter. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, and they were just... Now, they weren't touching anymore, but mm -hmm. they were nowhere near columns. So, I said, so I said, okay, and I put the... You know, Johnny's... Here's row, form a line behind him. Here's the second one. Do the, so, fast forward. Three years later... I am floating again into another teacher's classroom. They have the exact same setup. It's time for a test again. I tell that story to these kids. I go, and I had to do this, and they couldn't figure it out. And one of them looks at me and goes, Mr. Mealy, we can do better. Mm -hmm. I said, I doubt it. I said, you got three minutes. Go. 
in a minute and a half, they were perfect. Because rather than like just a random direction, now it was a competition and it was, and it was a challenge to their, um, you know, their ability to do something and they were competing against other kids. And so now how can I take that at various times in various different forms and incorporate that into, um, tweaking it to make my kids learn when, and, and feel, hey, somebody said you can't do this, or I think da 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 and, and we know with all teaching tricks, you can only go to the well so many times before the before the kids are like, no, okay, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, that's not working again. But yeah. But at that but but then I had them train. Like anytime we wanted to like put them in rows, they now could do it without me having to go through the whole whatever method. So um yeah. Right. Well, you, you know, it's a good story. Tell it to kids because it's a sign of your failure. You're like, right. hey, I, I was an idiot once too, right? It's not even a success story for you, really. It's really, I failed. And then a little while later, I encouraged kids not to fail and they didn't fail, right? Like you didn't do very much other than you learned to motivate kids you know, <laughs> through a story, through a little bit of competition, through a challenge, which was great. Yeah. You know, one of the things I do is I give things names, and I usually name it after students if it's a student story. So I'll say, this is a fairly Eagle Cal job moment, you know, who's one of my former students and everyone knows what that means. So rather than having to tell the story again, you give that story a name, you know, helicopter nice. desks or something, right? And yeah. so you just, rather than telling the story, you say, this is a helicopter desk moment. Oh. This is like, we're going to, it's going to be bad or it's going to be good and it's on you guys. So you recall the story to them. You're creating some legacy, some tradition, some history, and you don't have to go through the whole thing anymore. And it becomes a, a signature thing for students that they start to, they start to vocalize, you know, you'll hear them start mm-hmm. using your phrase. They'll say, Oh God, this is a helicopter desk moment. Like, or, you know, yes. and it's not even you saying it anymore. So right. telling the story, giving it a name, creating legacy and tradition yes. around it really can change. Things. I'm in the Star Trek next generation episode with, um, Marshlock rides with Shrumbung over the water. Do you have any, do you get that reference? No, I, I dated girls, so I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, I don't know. I can't actually come up with the words, but there was an episode of Star Trek where Captain. I just wish you could, because I'm sure it would really be worth our time. But they're really, but there's an entire culture where all, where they only talk in references, in reference to, um, to myths and legends and lore and Um, fables and all that kind of stuff. So they don't. So it's like inside jokes. All they do is tell inside jokes in that. All the time. They don't actually say things other than they go, you know, Mashlock ran with Swungum in the Bombob, whatever, whatever nonsense words there are. Mm -hmm. It's a really good episode. Yeah. Well, you give start. it a name and that often becomes a useful thing for you. Yes. Yeah. I like yeah. that. I like that a lot. That's, that's, that actually makes a lot of you sense. Your own like classroom sized archetypes and tropes. It's one yeah. 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 Well, I believe in culture. You know, my principal, Plato Carafellis, my first principal for 14 years, he instilled this in me, the idea of, you know, you take the moment to make, give them meaning. You know, I remember there was a moment we play this game called uh mat ball in gym, in the gym class. Um, and essentially, it's kickball, and they don't use bases. They use the mats. I actually like the game a lot. The, the PE teacher knows I love it, so she invites me in. And the rule was, if you ever kick it into the basketball hoop, it's worth 100 runs. Yes. And one time, a kid did it. And wow. everyone cheered, and I ran over to the kid, and I looked at the other teacher in the room. I said, we're going to pick him up and put him on our shoulder because this is going to be an enormous moment that will always be remembered. 
And so he was like, all right, I guess. And I was like, why would you not think that right away? So we picked him up on our shoulders. We ran him around. And then I actually told the PE teacher, you should have a plaque. You should have a plaque of kids who have hit <laughs> yeah. 100 run kicks. Why not? And have that one kid's name on it. Because now we create legacy. We create tradition. You know, kids suddenly have a goal and things like that. That's all, I do it all the time, constantly. I'm always looking. You walk through my room, there's just stuff everywhere. People will say, like, why is there a Barbie doll up there? Well, there's a story that attached to it. And that story actually has meaning. Why is that there? Why, you know, there's just all these objects all over my room mm-hmm. that represent things from kids that represent stories I tell to my students. That's awesome. See, I just do nonsense all the time. I was telling my, my daughter this. So my room is all tables and, um, they have whiteboard contact paper on them. I teach math so the kids can just, and there's uh, markers with, you know, all everywhere you can go. And, and um, so you can do the math problems on, on the whiteboard. And so one of the um, lids was missing. So I'm like, I'm, I'm talking to, I'm just gonna make something. I'm talking to Johnny. I'm sorry. I said, Johnny, where's, where's the lid? And he goes, I don't know where the lid is. I go, Oh, I know. Um, Susie eats um, whiteboard marker lids. Cause Susie's just right next to her. And so from then on, even though Susie never ate a white whiteboard marker lid, like that's all we joked about, like the rest of the year, and just and just called her, like I'm like, oh, do you, do you, Susie, how many whiteboard yeah. marker lids did you did you eat? And it, but it, it just it's an odd way to create culture, but it's it, it's my own flavor of culture. But um, but yeah, I'll, I'll do that. That um, you know, that humor really works with kids, and you know, those identities are interesting. I the only difference between that and sort of what I do more religiously is I just try to expand things so that they become repeatable over the years, you know, yeah. and, you know, in that way they become a little bit more ingrained to, to, to future generations of students. That's good. That's so, good. Yeah. I just say, watch out for him. He put, he's going to put cheese in your book, in your book bag. Right. And they're like, yeah. what are you talking about? And the other kids well, like, what, said, do you, what do you mean? I'm like, the fun things are good. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm actually teaching a whole workshop on fun in the classroom. I tried to get the word fun into our mission statement. Everyone thought it was crazy. And I thought like, it's the first word that should be there. Yeah. You know, I had a kid, kid, when kids bring oranges and I always take my marker and I draw pictures on their oranges because you don't eat the peel. So Not today yet. I drew like a little sad face on the kid's orange and I wrote a little speech bubble that said, don't eat me. And he just thought it was the funniest thing in the world, yeah, you know? Yeah. And it took me five seconds. I brought right. him joy. You know, eventually I take their oranges. I open my door to my classroom. I have an out- a door to the outside and I roll their oranges down the sidewalk and try to get them in the street. Cause again, you peel the orange off. So it doesn't matter what I do to the outside of the orange. Yes. And they just think it's hilarious. You know, at the end of the year last year, I told parents how I roll their oranges down the sidewalk, try to get them into the street. And one of the parents came up and said, Every week she would ask me for a bag of oranges and I could not figure out why it was so important to have an orange at school every day. Because you were rolling them down the sidewalk to get them in the street. I said, yeah, all the time. Yeah. And, you know, parents would say, that's kind of a weird thing, don't you think? And I said, we're in the middle of a pandemic. All I want to do is keep the kids happy. Like they're in a room with me in a mask, socially distant. And if I can make them laugh by rolling their oranges to the street, I'll do it all day long. So, and you know, I still do it. I, I make up fake things when they um, hand me their late note. So they come in with a late note and I'll look at it and I go, um, you know, a gorilla was chasing was chasing you in the bathroom and um, tried to bite your foot. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Oh, well, you're, you're excused. Have, have a seat. You know, I do the same thing, except my letters are always I go. Oh, a letter. Isn't this a trick? 
Dear Mr. Dix, you are the most amazing teacher. My child comes home every day and tells stories about you. You know, they want photos of you so they can make, we can make wallpaper so they can stare at you on Saturdays and Sundays. And the kids, you know, they quickly realize I'm fooling around. But I do the same thing. Anything to make a smile, you know? Yeah. Gotta make school fun. I want my kids to be excited about coming to school. And I say when you miss school, you never know what's going to happen. And I just try to do one sort of thing they've never seen before every day so that every day they want to be in school. And I'll put this one out there again. I know I've said this one, but, it, but it, you might, it, I don't think you listen to all of our episodes. Have you listened to every single episode of, of the podcast, Matthew? Three times, actually. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> well, then the you, first then, two then times, just for, you know, just for entertainment purposes, then I take notes on the third time. It's awesome. Well, then you'll remember yeah. this because you're, and you're up north somewhere. Where are you, where are you at? I'm in Connecticut. Yeah. North is really relative, so it depends on where you are. Okay. So this one, which <laughs> I think north to most places. I know you yeah. guys don't take it. to Montreal. It takes a lot of snow to get a snow day there, I know, but but still, um, this one still is always fun when you're when you're like on your planning time and there's um, either a threat of snow or there's little flurries coming down. I go into a random teacher's room and I go, "Did you get the email about early dismissal for the snow today?" And then just look at the look on the kids' faces. Yeah. <laughs> well, there wasn't one, and then I just close the door and walk out. <laughs> I don't think I do that one actually. That one's too mean. That's rough. <laughs> That's mean. Or like to each his own. Or just, <laughs> or just random, or just randomly say happy birthday to someone teacher when it's not their birthday, and then wait outside while the kids will eventually sing happy birthday to the teacher, to, even That's though the teacher's fun. denying that it's their birthday. So those are. Oh, you know, I had a teacher one year. You know, we have these call and responses that we use. I teach my students Shakespeare, and we perform Shakespeare in the room. So nice. I always use the call and response: friends, Romans, and countrymen from mm-hmm. Julius Caesar, and then they say, lend me your ears, lend me your ears. and they're all quiet. So my teacher next door to me one year decided to use um, Captain, oh, Captain. They would He would say, Captain, and they say, oh, Captain. And that's a Whitman poem. Right. Um, wait, is it Whitman? Yeah. Captain, I don't Captain, know. Captain, I, I just know it's from... Uh, my ship yeah, the, the, the every Robin Williams Rocky, movie. Saw as one. So yeah. I have that poem memorized. So what I did was when that teacher was out of the room, we had a connecting door, I'd go in the room, and all year long I got them to memorize the poem. He didn't know the poem. <laughs> But right. I got the class by April. They had this poem down and memorized well, along with me. And so we planned a time when, you know, it was like, all right, on May, tw- May on May 12th, when he stands up and says, Oh, captain, rather than saying my captain, you're going to recite the whole damn poem at him. You're going to shout it. Wow. At him. And it was great. And I walked in because I heard it happening and I shouted it along with them. So <laughs> I do like to do things to other teachers occasionally. I think the best thing to do is prank teachers in front of kids so that they yes. can see friendly banter mm-hmm. yeah that friendly kind of and make us you know human. ribbing that kind of thing i want to model that for them yeah so one of the things that i, I still haven't decided if i'm going to do it or not but I, but I really want to do it is i want to rickroll admin when um they come to observe me so i want to teach my kids to sing um never going to give you up and then when the admin sits down i'm going to say well, we know, kids, that today that the objective is the most important part of the lesson. So, what's today's objective? And then have the kids just like break into um, "Never Going to Give You Up," and I think right. that would be um, a lot of fun. So, I haven't done. Isn't it, it yet, funny but... that the objective is the most important part too? And it's only the most important part because it's the one thing that is easily definable, so that an administrator can say yes or no. It was done. Right. Like all the nuances that they should be looking for, which they do. I have a great principal yeah. who sees them. Yes. Yeah. But like, there's a lot of people who 
they walk into a room, they just sort of want a black and white check or no check because that's mm-hmm. the easiest way to evaluate yeah. whether a teacher's doing well or not. So yeah. I had a principal once, not my current principal, a terrible principal, <laughs> who um, he walked into my room to, uh, you know, evaluate me, one of these um, unprompted, un, you know, just popped in my room. Right. And all my kids were writing. Uh-huh. They, every single one of them was working. And I was staring at my kids. And he sat down next to me and goes, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm watching all my kids write because if I don't watch the back of Jalen's head, he won't write. But as long as he knows I'm staring at him, he'll continue <laughs> to write. Uh-huh. And um, he said, is that all that's happening right now? And I said, is that all that's happening? I have 22 children engaged in the writing process in a silent classroom yeah. and everyone is happy. This is like a goddamn miracle. What? And he had his iPad, you know, to, to report on what I was doing. He said, well, well, maybe I'll come back later when, when you're teaching. And I said, there will never be a better moment in my classroom right. today than this moment. This is the most extraordinary I will be all day long. Yeah. And he said, well, I can't really write about that. And he walked out of the room and I thought, Oh my God. See you, buddy. You don't know what real <laughs> teaching is. <laughs> don't let the door hit you. Yeah. I know. Can you imagine? I got 22 kids all writing, yeah, and only yeah, one of them I yeah. had to stare at to get it to do happen. Oh, yeah. You know? The first time, like, yeah. I had my kids, like, engaged in an essay, and, like, I'd put on, like, some classical music or, like, some light jazz or something. They're all just sitting there just working. Ugh. Ugh. That's the best. Yeah. Well, I had Credence playing today. Oh. I'm teaching about Credence Cl- Clear Order Revival, so... You know, I'm, I'm, I had Aretha last week. We did the Who the week before. Oh, so. nice. <laughs> yeah. Talk okay. about culture. There's right. a bathroom. Yeah. Well, on the I'm right. giving them that, an experience. That's yeah. all. They I all know. loved Credence. They were all, I said, one out of five today. We listened to like eight Credence songs. I talked about their history. I talked about the anti war movement. Yeah. And um, they all loved it. They all loved the music. And They're we like, this the is definition good. definition of the word by you. Yes. <laughs> if, yeah. If they, if they could have gotten along, they would have, they would have been, um, Bigger than um, the Grateful Dead, yeah. They just they just couldn't they couldn't seem to stick together. I don't know those personality. I guess it, was, it was brothers involved, right? And then I think that was that part of the, the breakup, or I don't know. There's the whole too history. many talented people in that band. That was the problem. You can't uh, have too many talented people. No, you got to have one talented person dragging along four others. Yeah, yeah, maybe two. Oh, uh, a reverse Beatles. Got it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the problem with the Beatles too. Mm-hmm. You know, three needed... talented people. Yeah. yeah. Hey, don't 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 dis don't dis George Harrison. He wasn't. He just Paul McCartney. <laughs> hey, Ringo put out some of his own records, and they were not bad. Yeah. Did you yeah. hear somebody once asked Paul McCartney if Ringo was one of the best drummers in the world? And Paul McCartney said he wasn't even one of the best drummers in the Beatles. Yes. yes but, but, hey. That's a good line. It is. But, 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 hey. Not nice. But, but, he, but, but no, but you need, you need Ringo. They're, 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 not, they're not the Beatles without the Ringo. He's, he's the happy, lovable guy that, that can yes. kind of just, you know. Ringo got 25%. And Pete Best got nothing. So, I mean, Ringo got, Pete Ringo's Best rich and nothing. Pete Best got, is not. So, did you yeah. hear he, he once released an album called Best of the Beatles? <laughs> no. Wow. Nice. That is I always funny. hope that, I just think they should have given Pete Best some money. I just like yeah. just give just, him like two percent, you know. Right. I just always feel bad for him. Just write him a check for stinking five million. You exactly. Knuckleheads, yeah. you know? Yep. Yeah. Just just throw him um I don't know. The the the, the royalties to like Octopus's Garden? Yeah, that, that's Ringo though. But yes, yes, but maybe you know. Half your listeners don't know who Pete Best is, by the way. No, no, that, that's yeah. Just Google Uncultured Pete Best. Swine. Okay. Well, they're too busy. They're too busy googling um, Star Trek episode that was about stories right now. That that's yeah. what the. So. <laughs> don't think they are. <laughs> All right, Bailey, are we ready to bring this home? 
Yeah, we're all ready to bring it home, okay? And so we've got, like, we always end every podcast with funny stories, okay? And this is the first time that we have literally someone that gets paid to tell stories on our podcast. So there's not much pressure. So, um, so, um, tell us as many funny stories as, um, as, as you can, as we can handle. And then we'll, um, we'll call it, we'll call it done and let you get back to your, the rest of your life. As many funny stories. I mean, we would be here all night. Why don't okay. I give you as well, many funny stories from the last week? Okay. How's that? Wonderful. Cool. All right. So I took my kids on a field trip to a, to a park yesterday. Mm-hmm. We were learning about ecology. They were learning about symbiosis. I had mm-hmm. four kids. They had to model the cuckoo bird. They had to do a, a simulation of the cuckoo bird, which is a bird that, uh, that kicks the, takes over a nest and kicks out the babies. Mm-hmm. And so my two boys decided one boy is going to be the cuckoo bird and he's going to lay the other boy as an egg. Oh, wow. And so the process of laying the other boy as uh-huh. an egg was one of the most deeply disturbing things I have ever seen. Yes. I have a yes. video of it. I'm going to share with you. Yes. Let's, let's, let's make that go viral on TikTok, please. Okay. Yeah. In another um, moment during those simulations, three kids were sort of holding on to each other and moving along. It was a simulation of barnacles on a whale that's what oh. it was supposed to be yeah. but it looked like they were dancing sort of so some she said what is that and one kid said it's the the chonkaka and i was like what's the chonkaka and we finally figured out that he was trying to say conga and cha-cha he thought the two of them were combined into one dance move nice the chonkaka oh, so God. that's a new yeah. dance craze sweep yes. of the nation yes very strange children in in yeah. my class yeah um so that was kind of funny. Uh, I yeah. had a girl in my class this week who the substitute teacher in Spanish referred to as sir and he. So the substitute teacher mistook her gender, which is a possibility in many cases, but yeah. this young lady is definitely a young lady. Oh my. So I don't know what was going on with that Spanish teacher. <laughs> uh, so she was mad. And uh, I said, did you correct her? And she said, no. And th- my student said, I said, why didn't you correct her? And she said, because anyone who thinks that I'm a boy is not worth correcting. Nice. And I was like, <laughs> That's a boss move. There I you was go. Like, Good on winner, you, girl. Dinner. That's right. Yeah. And then she went and wrote a story about it and she fictionalized it. She, she said, I wrote the story about what happened to me in Spanish. And then I said, go read it to the class. She said, I dramatized it a bit. I said, okay. So in the end, she ends up like punching the teacher and going to the principal's office as her dramatization of the story. Nice. Oh, wow. <laughs> Yeah, she's a, she's a tough girl. That is good. All stuff. right, I'll give you one more. Um, the other night, I went to the moth in Boston with one of my former students. She's 22 now, and uh, she's a friend. And we were talking. She she's still tiny. She's a tiny human being, but she was really small when I had her in fifth grade. She would fit in the lockers. Mm-hmm. And so what I would do is she would climb into the locker at the end of the day. We close it, and then I call a teacher into the room and say, "This locker's jammed. Can you help me get it open?" Nice. Open it. <laughs> She would pop out. Yes. She remembered that she was telling me about it when we went to the mall. But uh, what I recalled was uh, this one teacher in my class. I'll keep his name silent. But what happened with every other, every teacher was startled to some degree. But legitimately, when she popped out on this one teacher, this guy, this young, tough guy, he screamed like the highest pitch scream. Oh, nice. And then he ran. He just <laughs> ran away. Oh, my he goodness. ran out of my room. I was talking to him about it today because I had seen my student. I said, remember when you ran? And he said, fight or flight, man. I, I just went with flight. I said, wow. I understand flight, but you're the only one who actually ran away. <laughs> Eventually, like halfway down the hallway, he finally like caught his breath and came back. 
Uh, but that wow. kid, he says, I'll never forget that time. I jumped wow. out and that teacher yeah. screamed and ran away. Like Good legit. Times. Good yeah. times. Good times. All right. Well, thank you, Matthew. You have how many books do you have that are that are published? Uh, six novels and a book of nonfiction. Look at that. Okay, that's 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 um. You underachiever. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I got a, two more coming out next year, so fantastic. We'll, we'll for it. Take that, George R. R. Martin. So, right. well, you you'll send me whatever the link best way is to get to to, to all of those. I, I assume if you go to Amazon and just and just search Matthew Dix, that all of all of them come up. That's yes, or you way. go to MatthewDix.com. There's right. links there too. You but get yes, more if money you when you my when name they on buy Amazon. It. You can get all my books. Yeah. Yeah. Which which way do you get more money? I don't think it matters, honestly. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I was gonna try yeah. and help them make you make more money. So, but as long as they get my book, I, I actually the way to make the most money is you should buy them at twelve at a time. So buy a dozen of each book. <laughs> there you go. The, the holiday seasons are coming up. They make a great gift, and you know what? I tell people giving a signed copy of a book can really be very special. So buy my book, sign my name in it, and Boom. tell them that I signed it, and I will agree to that. There we go. Buy a dozen books and give it to somebody. You can call it a book K. Yeah. Wow. Very good. <laughs> to go. Let's go. I think I might steal that one. Very good. Good. Awesome. Well, thank you again. We really, really appreciate you um, coming on here. And um, we appreciate all of you guys listening to us. Okay. Make sure you actively listening, actively listening to us. Yes. Yes. So please repeat to your friends tomorrow everything that we said. And, um, but for real, do your homework for life. And if you, and if you do start doing your homework for life, both um, ourselves and Matthew would love to hear what you get out of it and um, the stories that you get and how, and how it changed your life. So, so reach out, I'll, reach out to Matthew. Go ahead. I'll, I'll just add that my students do it as well. Mm-hmm. And about half, I don't force my students to do it, but half of them do it. And I have kids who have been doing it for more than 10 years. I actually have a TED talk on the subject called homework for life. If you just Google my name and TED talk, totally appropriate for kids to see too. So it's a good way to introduce it to students or to faculty. You can just, if yeah. you don't want to do PD, Play an 18-minute TED Talk and go do your paperwork, and uh, they'll get something out of it. Awesome. There you go. Awesome. That link is also in the show notes. Yes, it is. All right. As well as the link, and I know I um, it's barely unrelated to Matthew Dix, but um, we have T-shirts now, boys and girls, okay? So you can rock your unprofessional development T-shirts and stickers and coffee mugs and other stuff like that so we got merch as the kids say so get some get some get some unprofessional development merch and go out there and um show all your friends how cool you are by listening to our podcast we love you and we always say stay unprofessional <laughs> bye guys bye. thanks for having me